Isaiah 40, verse 1. Comfort, yes, comfort my people, says your God. Speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry out to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight, and the rough places smooth. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The voice said, Cry out. And he said, What shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, because the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the Word of our God stands forever. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Amen. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I ask that You would uh, prepare our hearts and minds for the message that You would have us to receive today. God, I'm asking that uh, no matter my words, that Your Word would come forth. And Your Word is life-changing, transforming, creative, healing, restoring. It has all the power of who You are in it, and it goes on and endures. So Heavenly Father, I ask that You would do an enduring work this morning as we here together, what you would have us to say. I ask you this in the name of Jesus Christ, that the words in my mouth, the meditations in our hearts, and the thoughts in our minds would be acceptable in thy sight, Lord God, for you are our strength, our rock, and my Redeemer. Amen. Anybody ever get tired of working? I took five days off of work last week to go work. <laughs> and about every Sunday that I'm off from the pulpit, I'm working something for, for the mission of one thing or another. And uh, I thought it was interesting because Onita's out in the eastern mountains of Kentucky near Manchester and west, uh, uh, sorry, east of Somerset and London. So if you're familiar with that area, you know about where we were. Um, and out there they have a place on the campus called the Friendship House. The Friendship House is like a thrift store. Open Thursdays and Fridays to the public. And on Monday through Wednesday and Thursdays as well, the workers who come in to volunteer, such as some of us did, help to sort the clothes, size the clothes, and all the other items and get them ready for those folks. There's a lot of different things there and I always browse their bookshelf. I don't know how they come up with some of the things they have in, in eastern Kentucky in the mountains, but they say donations come from everywhere. Horse trailers came filled with stuff. Uh, pallets after pallets of stuff rolling in. Amazing how well endowed and how well thought of Onita is. 
It is a boarding school, but a whole lot more. Their theme is education for time and eternity. But the reason I mention it is as I was browsing through this book, uh, rows and racks and (laughs) all those different things that they had in this certain section, I saw when it said the castle. And I said, I wonder what that is. And when I saw it, I pulled it out and I looked at the cover and I said, oh, that looks kind of like a prison. And I said, I wonder if all prisons look the same because that looks just like the prison in Edderville. And on the back it said, the castle, a story of the Edderville prison. (laughs) I now have that book. (laughs) The reason I mention that is because that's where Kairos occurred when I went a few months ago. That was a reminder from God to answer the call if He asked me to do so. A friend of mine who is directing this Kairos, uh, Kairos sorry, um, asked me a couple weeks ago if I would work the one in September. And I said, I don't know. I'll see if I hear from God about it. I got a book. Uh, in Eastern Kentucky has nothing to do with Eastern Kentucky. And there it was. And I said, um, either you're getting my attention or you're not. But it looks like in September I'll be working another Sunday when I'm not here. Um, working a lot of hours with those guys. Um, and i got to tell you something. Volunteer work doesn't pay much, but the rewards are priceless. A lot of folks who are looking forward to retirement, Ginger very, very soon, Judy at the end of the year, um, me whenever I get old enough, y'all, and you know, we all talk about retirement and how I'm not going to work any. Well, you know what I heard about retirement is you, you don't have time to work. Too busy to work when you get into retirement. My dad once said when he retired, he said, I don't know how I had time to work. I'm so busy volunteering for stuff and doing stuff and the honeydew list. He said, I'd like to go to work so I wouldn't have to do all that stuff. But retirement's supposed to be the rest period, to rest from the laborious work we've done our entire life. However, as I said, most retired people are too busy to work. But I've got to tell you something, and I'm going to burst your bubble here. The Bible doesn't say anything about retirement. Look at Moses, Jacob, and Joseph. They all kept leading their family right until the day they were unable. But how many of us are rested? <laughs> if we're in retirement, are we rested? If we're not in retirement, do we look for the day, hey, I, one day when I retire, I'll rest? Well, the folks who are retired say, you're not going to rest. Do you feel rested? Do you feel like there is always something else on your time schedule demanding of you? Always something coming up. Do you feel that way? How many of us ever get a chance to relax and really, really relax and not think about or stress? This country is the most stressful country on the planet. Now you'd think, with all our time-saving devices, our conveniences that we'd be better off and less stressful. But in actuality, it has made us feel like we have to get more done to be connected, 
to always be plugged in with the latest. And then you go to the mountains of eastern Kentucky and you can't do any of it. All you can do is work with your hands and get rest. Did you hear what I just said? All you can do is work with your hands and get rest. Some of us got peace. Can't use electronic devices. There's no cell towers nearby. None that work anyway, as far as we know. And and good luck finding a signal for anything else. So guess what? We had to talk to people. We had to connect. And everybody on the trip said it was healing. Restoring. The connection. We've lost that ability in our day and time. We've lost the ability to feel relaxed and comfortable. In today's passage, in verse 1 it says, Comfort my people. And this comfort talks about speaking to someone who is struggling, if you will, and the comfort that it's referring to is heart comfort. It doesn't mean sit in a recliner. It means that your heart is at peace. Is your heart at peace today? Right now? Or is something on your mind for later are drawing you away from this moment. Most of us would say it's hard to be present for very long anymore. I would agree. But I have to tell you, this passage that we're dealing with in Isaiah is crucial. It's probably one of the most important messages I will ever share with you. And, and, it, and it's not comfortable. <laughs> it talks about being comforted, but the message itself about that is not going to set easily for any of us. I'm going to share some things that are very uncomfortable to talk about that we don't like to talk about in church. This passage talks about sin and the effects that it has on our lives that comes from the residue and the lingering effects and the double portion that we get from God's hand because of it. It even says that that in verse 2 that we have received from the Lord's hand double for all our sin. And yet think, doesn't the Scripture say eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, one for another? And here it says double portion. Well, let's look at what that double portion is and we'll begin to break this down for you. The first portion of the double portion is the consequence of sin in our lives and in our world. That's bad enough, isn't it? In other words, sin creates more sin. It makes our environment, our culture, this whole planet, if you will, ungodly. And long enough in sin can do this. And I'm not going to break it down how this works But please trust me on this. Sin creates mental illness. There you go. Well, can you explain that? No, not right now. It takes about five to ten minutes to break down how that works. But yes, it creates mental illness. Not only that, but a life separated from God by sin is a spiritually sick life. 
involving and inviting other things beyond God into their life that is not spiritually healthy or physically healthy for you. We were made to find peace. A sense of homeostasis. I've talked about this before. Where we seek to be at a level of calm. Whenever things are out of balance, we seek to bring them back in balance. When we're frustrated, we want to be calm. We don't want to be frustrated. When we're angry, we don't want to stay that way. We want to get rid of it somehow. When we're depressed, we don't want to stay that way. We want to feel normal. That sense of homeostasis is that normal feeling where everything's neither up nor down. It's just kind of flowing kind of even. That problem, though, is that sin begins to take that comfortable life and twist it. It makes us uncomfortable and it makes us hide from one another. Our body will sooner or later manifest our spiritual reality. This is not something I'm making up. It's a fact. If you are spiritually detached, broken, your body will soon enough show that. That's not me talking. That's scientifically proven. And it helps us to understand that if you're not spiritually in tune with God, there's something physical going to happen in your body that you don't know how to predict what's going to happen or where it came from. Let me tell you this. Depression, anxiety, and similar emotional struggles can come directly from no spiritual foundation. Jesus is life. Sin is death. We cannot sugarcoat that fact safely. And I'm going to break it down for you a little further. Sin will destroy you. But it doesn't stop there. It will destroy your relationships. It will destroy your family, your career, your home, your children. It doesn't stop there. It will go generation to generation to generation. Sin does not play. But we don't talk about it in church because we say, well, I'm forgiven. You are forgiven, but the double portion isn't what we talk about when we talk about the forgiveness. We only talk about that we are forgiven in the eyes of God, but the double portion remains. As I said, the first one is the consequences that it brings to our life and to our world. The second portion. And this is the worst one, I think, for me, and maybe for a lot of you, is it creates the mountains, the hills, the valleys, the crooked, as this verse says, or the fraudulent and deceitful ways in our lives being cut short of joy. I'm not saying a sinless life is without struggle. Far from it. But what I am saying is sin will lead you into ways that are not comfortable. God can't bless sin. (laughs) I don't know how He would even try. We don't condone it, but the worst part is that we don't talk about it. And I began to see this 
clearly a couple of weeks ago as I was working on the, the previous leveling sermon, and then this week at Onita, something happened that really, really touched me. And it made me say, this is really good. This is awesome stuff. But I want to talk about, first of all, where it says, to prepare the way of the Lord, to make straight in the desert a highway for our God. That's verse 3. And then it says in verse 4, every valley shall be exalted. Here's your valleys. Every mountain and foothill or hill brought low. The crooked places made straight. The rough places smooth. All these things are not talking about topography of the earth. They are talking about your life and the consequences of sin. The mountains in the way. The rough places in your life. The valleys where you can't seem to get out of the struggle of the depression. The crooked places we're talking about deceit and fraudulent where we can't be honest anymore. Where lies beget lies. This kind of thing. And the valleys being raised up don't happen because you want to climb out. (laughs) Listen carefully to what he says. Verse 3 once again. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. That's what he says in verse 3. Now it sounds like he's going to be talking about what God's going to do. But in this third verse, there's a clue. It says, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Ye in King James, in New King James, it's you, uh, prepare the way. It's understood that the subject is your doing the preparing. How do we prepare a way for the Lord? And what he says almost sounds impossible. He says, in the desert, how many of us have been spiritually dry, hungering for a move of God, hungering and thirsting for God's righteousness and God to make a move in our lives? That's the desert. He says, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And this way that it's talking about is a small path. The highway is talking about a very wide highway, well-traveled. And I want to share with you, not only is that small path the way it says, it's also the course of life. It's not talking about a physical road that you go to some desert place, make it, and God will come. We're talking about a spiritual way. This way is our course of life. Where we've lived. How we think. He says... Begin to look at your life and see that your life without God is fruitless. Can often feel worthless and most definitely can be pointless. This is the desert. And so he says, prepare your life for God. Get ready for God to do something. Get ready for God to do the work. So how do we do that? 
humble ourselves before Him and say, God, I can't do this. You can. I can't make it out of this valley. I can't move this mountain. I can't stop myself from going the wrong direction. I want to follow You, but I keep going the wrong way. That's what Paul says in Romans chapter 7. I want to, but I don't know how to stop doing it the wrong way. God, how? How do I do this? And God says, just desire Me where You are at, and I will build a highway to You. And He says, every valley will be exalted. And that word exalted sounds like praise. It doesn't mean that. It means when God comes, He's going to raise up those valleys in your life. He's going to bring you out of those depressing places and anxious moments. And He says every mountain and hill brought low. That doesn't mean He's going to tear them down. It means He's going to level the ground so that there's no more turbulence in your life when God begins to work. Now here's the interesting thing. God does this work and He smooths it out but we have the option of welcoming those things back. It's true. How many lessons have we learned more than once? How many times has God got to teach us the right way? Do you understand when it says in this passage, the crooked places shall be made straight? It's not talking about a road or a river that meanders. It's talking about a heart that is deceitful or fraudulent. A heart that is not after God. It says that the crooked places will be made straight. And the word straight means prosperous. You understand the imagery here now. We're not talking about topography. We're talking about our lives. That the deceitful will become prosperous in God. When God comes in, your life will prosper. And I'm not talking prosperity religion. I'm talking that you'll be fruitful in kingdom work. And you will desire that. But God can't prosper you if you're not hungering for it. Or believe that He can. It doesn't mean that you have to believe 100%. I know God's going to do this. It means I believe He can even in the midst of my fear, my questioning, and my uncertainty. The highway of God is a well-traveled road. God knows the way to you. He knows how to fix what's broken. i got to tell you, I, I mentioned something happened this week, and it, it was almost like like a, a revelation for me. And, and, it, and it seems to me almost simple. You know one of those things that's like, how did I miss that? Kind of simple. Because I'm looking for something complicated. We're always trying to make our faith hard. Trying to make, God, if I do this and this, will you fix this? And God's saying, humble yourself before me and I'll build a highway straight to you and I'll take care of this, this, and this. I'll do it, says God. 
You just got to prepare that you're ready for me. When you're sick and tired of being in those painful places, that's when you're ready for God to do something. Until then, you get comfortable in your misery. We don't talk about this a lot in church, and I don't know why. But I want to tell you something what happened this week, and this is kind of cool. Give you a little bit of background. Anybody know what lateral epicondylitis is? Laziness. No, no, it's not laziness. <laughs> I wish it was laziness. Uh, no, I have it. That's why I was asking. It's kind of like tendinous elbow, but on the top, right here, where the ligaments are inflamed. And I've been, uh, I've had a, uh, an injection at the uh, orthopedic place near Heartland and took care of it for a month. And they said, there's nothing wrong physically, it's just inflammation. And I said, so if I don't use it, will it heal? And they said, yes. I said, how long? And they said, one year. I said, give me the shot. <laughs> so I had the shot. Within 15 minutes, my pain was gone, and I realized it's not a physically structural problem. It's inflammation due to it being used in a way that makes it uncomfortable. The problem was I didn't know what I was doing. And so I finally figured out what it was. And, and y'all probably don't do this. But at night I'll be in bed like this. On my back, of course, not standing. Like that. Or like this. With my left hand, usually. Which is the arm where I have it in. That is what's causing it. No. Uh-huh. You're taking too many selfies. <laughs> I'm not taking selfies. <laughs> I had to delete all the games off my phone because I wouldn't stop playing them. Now that's a problem. You see, sin will make more problems than what you want. It may be fun for a second, but at the end of the day, you got double portion. You're paying twice for one miserable moment. You don't get to say, well, I'm just going to have this consequence if I do this. No, God says you're going to double portion. So you're going to have to pay twice as much for the one thing. So here I was, Struggling with this, and finally said, "Okay, not doing that." I set my phone at night down, and it began to heal. Well, it's still baseball season. West Coast trip, late night, waiting for the next pitch on the update on the app. You know, I got to see it type thing. And so I'm sitting there, and my wife is laughing at me. I had the phone in my hand, like this, waiting for the little ball to go to see what happens on the pitch. And as it gets later and later, the phone falls on my face. I fall asleep and it wakes me up, so I hold it back up. And, and she says, you're snoring holding the phone and it hits you in the face. <laughs> Seriously, this is what happens. This is the consequences of not wanting to set the thing down and go to sleep. I'm that tired, but I won't let myself sleep. So I tell a friend of mine, who's my accountability partner at Celebrate Recovery about this, and he says, alright, well, let me know how it's going. And after a while, we didn't talk about it. I don't need it. I went to bed around 11 o'clock. My accountability partner was on the trip. Most of you know him. It's Brad. Well, anyway, Brad knows all about my bad elbow. I laid out at 11 o'clock, so I'm going to bed. 12.30, he walks in, and I put a game on there. Just going to get one good score. That's it, right? 
You know how that works, right? Just one good score. So there I am, 12.30. Brad walks in, looks at me and says, Hey, don't you know that messes with your elbow? Did you forget that? And I said, Oh, it doesn't hurt anymore now. I stopped doing that. And he goes, Okay. And he walks out of the room. And I was mad. I, I asked him to help me be accountable, but I got mad for him doing it. And I said, here's what I said, and this is what sin will do. He's trying to control me. I asked him to help me. And now I'm blaming him for controlling me. Do you understand what sin does? It makes you think that a friend who loves you does not. It makes you think that that relationship is broken for some reason when you don't want to do what they're suggesting. But they love you. This is how arguments happen in marriages and how friendships fall apart. It's because we don't believe they love us. We act out of fear. Or they're trying to control me. Or I don't want to hear that. I want to do what I want to do. And that's sin. It's all about me instead of God. If I honor God, I'll get my eight hours of sleep instead of six. He comes back in at three. Or two thirty or whatever time it was. I'm still on the game. No. I'm still on the game. And I wanted to tell him, why in the world are you messing with me like that? But I thought about it. I had an hour and a half to think. He walks back and you know what I said? I said, thank you for keeping up with me. A true friend will do that. A true friend will do that. But they're not judging you by doing that. They're keeping up with you to help you do the things you want to do. They're not criticizing. They're loving you. But do you understand what sin does? It makes love look like control. It makes love look like a threat. It makes someone who reaches out to hug you look like a predator. It makes someone who says, can I help you, look like they're weak. It makes someone who says they want to talk to you about Jesus look like they're going to say something that's going to drive you away. When it's actually love. Sin does this. It makes us reject what blesses us. This is why I say it's mentally ill. It's spiritually sick. Because the things that will help us are rejected. Because we can't see that it's God loving us through other people. And that's a problem. And God says, when I come in, I'm smoothing it out. You're not going to have to fear the mountain of that judgment and criticism or the valley of despair because I'm going to bring it back up and you're going to see your love there. You're not broken. You're just injured. You need love and healing and restoration. And God says, I'm building a highway because you need that much. And you can't build that highway. Only God can do it. God says, I will make the crooked, deceitful place in you straight if you will let me love you. And that's all God is trying to do is love us. To love you where you are. Not to judge you for it, but to meet you there. And to prepare ways to say, God, I need that. I want that. Without it, I don't know what my life's going to be like. Well, I can show you what it's going to be like. It'll be like this. Like a roller coaster. Never is it 
safe. But God says, I will be with you in the valleys. You've read Psalm 139, have you not? If I make my bed in hell, thou art there. I could go to the deepest parts of the seas, God, you are there. I cannot run from you. I cannot go far enough to get away from you. And it's not what it says to get away from you. It's that you will know where I am. That my darkness, says David, is light to you. Well, my darkness is dark to me. But God reveals it for what it is. A place where love and light and healing and restoration needs to come in. And when my friend did that, and I said, thank you for keeping up and checking on me. Do you know what he said? You're welcome. He didn't say, well, I was just wanted you to do the right thing. He didn't judge me for playing the game on my phone. He said, you're welcome. And my heart said, oh, he's still my friend. I could breathe. I could relax. I had peace. But in the moment of anger, if I had said something, I would have said, quit. Quit checking on me. Because sin does that. It makes us reject the good. In verse 8, it says, the grass withers, the flower fades, talking about our flesh. But the Word of our God stands forever. That word stands doesn't mean it just sits there. It means it rises up. God's Word rises up. As in, it rises up when there's a valley. It rises you up. It, when there's a mountain, it rises up and moves it and smooths it and makes it a plain, a level path. And the level path, I want you to understand that what we see from this side is the darkness and the hardness and the struggles. But God on the other side, on the other side of that struggle has a highway already built. And He's saying, if you'll just seek Me, do you understand what that's keeping us from is from God. Because we think that that's what our life is about. But God says, I'm going to raise up My Word in you. That when you speak My truth, in the midst of those things, God will move those things out of the way. And there will be a highway for us to get to God. And Him to get to us. All we have to do is hunger for it. And the crooked ways, the defraudulent stuff, the deceitful, the lies, all those things, God's Word destroys that in us. I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, I used to lie a lot. I mean a lot. I got so good at it, I didn't even know what was true anymore. But do you know, I forgot some of them. And I would get called on it, and then, and I'd say something, and they'd say, well, I thought you just said that. I'd say, yeah, that's true. I did say that. Well, is that true? Yeah, that's true. Well, how can that be true and this be true? I said, I don't know. It's just true. It, it, it always catches up with you. It always does. This is a portion of that double portion. 
It always comes back to bite you. But sin don't bite once, it bites twice. But here's the good news. And I've got verse 2 of the King James pulled up. And I want you to see this. This is what it says after comfort my people. It says, speak comfortably to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned. For she hath received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. But I want you to hear what this says. In, in the New King James, it says, speak comfort to Jerusalem. The word is comfortably in the King James. Speak comfortably to Jerusalem. Let me share who Jerusalem is. It's you. The people of God is Jerusalem. You belong to Jesus. You are Jerusalem in this passage. It says, speak comfortably to Jerusalem. That word comfortably does not get translated well in either version. King James, New King James. I looked at several. None of them made any sense the way it was really intended. And the word comfortably says, speak to the heart. It says, speak to Jerusalem's heart. And that means find out what they're struggling with. Find out what their burdens are. Speak to the heart. Speak to my heart, God. That's what this passage is based on. That God will speak to your heart. When God speaks His comforting Holy Spirit Word to your heart, the war is over. It takes just one word from God to create something out of nothing. In depression, it feels like a bunch of nothing. One word from God and the nothing becomes something. In anxiety, when it feels like you got all the world and you just can't stop it. And you're panicking. And God speaks one word. It wipes it away. Even the disciples in their anxiety, panicking on the Sea of Galilee, said, we're going to die. And Jesus said, peace. Be still to the heart of the storm. He spoke to the heart. And when it was quiet, the disciples looked and said, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey Him? Their hearts did not understand because they were thinking about this man and said, letting them speak to their heart and be calm in the midst of a turbulent life. Here's how we know that we're not close enough to God. We say, God, fix this problem. Rather than God, help me to work through this and be okay in the midst of a storm. We tell God about the storm rather than saying, God, rise up in me so I can face this storm in Your power. God, I'm not doing too well right now, but rise up in me. Speak a word to my heart. This is what I need to know. Tell me. Level me even, God. I'm tired of being up here. I'm tired of being down there. God, bring me back to normal. Make my life make sense again to me. Help me. Help me. Help me. This is preparing the way for Him when you acknowledge He's the only one who can. Medication cannot do it. Medication treats the symptom. God's Word recreates and creates and changes us. 
Two weeks ago, we talked about leveling up. That's maturing. Part of that maturing process is let God even it up. Smooth it out. So that we're calm in the midst of the storms in us. Hear that? That we're calm in the midst of the storms in us. Because our mind has been plagued and debilitated by sin. We no longer think godliness. This world and our corrupt minds have gotten a double portion too. And that's unfortunate. But we've already got the double portion. Let's start getting the blessing. Let's start getting the healing and restoration. I don't know about you, but I'm sick and tired of not being able to rest. Thinking I have to have a high score before I can go to sleep. Resisting a loving friend's accountability, thinking that he's trying to control me. This is all sin-based. I'm not bragging on my greatness. I'm bragging on my sinness. I'm boasting on what God has to work through in me because I can't stop it. I have a valley. And I have a mountain. And so do you. And your mind has twisted it to think it's normal. And the world twists it to make us think this is normal. It's not. What part of broken fits in the perfect joy of peace of Jesus Christ? What part of defeated matches up with the power of more than conqueror? What part of anxious fits in with love, joy, peace, and fellowship in the Holy Spirit? Do not fear. It says in Timothy, we have not been given a fearful-based spirit of anxiety that's not from God. It's sin's double portion. God lets it sit there until you let Him begin to work on it. And you're hungry enough for Him to do the work. Why don't we talk about this in church? Because in you, 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 and me, we have to start saying, I'm not always perfect. I struggle. Sin gets the best of me sometimes. But we're supposed to come and be perfectly dressed saints. But this is a hospital for healing and restoration so we can go out and share what God is doing in us and through us. This is not a place to be perfect. It's a place to be broken. And if we can't be broken here, where can we be? Because the world's going to destroy you if you're broken out there. I promise you, it takes no prisoners. But God, But God sets the captives free. And we're all captives. Would you pray with me? God, there's something I said today that makes sense to someone whose heart just been struggling. Seek your word of creation and hope and healing and restoration right there, right now. God, I'm asking you to make the rough places in us even again. Those of us stuck in a valley of depression or pain or financial, whatever it is, emotional relationship, God, I'm asking you to speak a word 
and to help us to know that we are not lost there. We can be found in our brokenness. We just have to say, God, I'm broken. And for those of us facing mountains that are too high, obstacles in our way, anxious things of so much to do and not enough time to do it, God, help us realize we're broken. We can't do it all. We're not possible. We need You to give us peace. To let us slow down and be still and know You are God and not us. If we don't do it, the world won't fail. And You'll still love us and call us Your own. God, I'm going to ask You to speak a word and rise up right now. That Your Holy Spirit be upon each person here. That Your healing and restoration will come forth right now. And God, that You would even out the broken places and begin with Your healing sad and anointing oil. Your balm in Gilead makes the wounded whole today. God, I am one of the broken. Thank you for letting me be a part of your healing as well. Help us to receive you. Amen. I've asked our closing song to be softly and tenderly. Um, I